Welcome to One Day Contract, the Panthers talk show where each week we're joined by a new personality who we've signed to a one-day contract to join the show. One Day Contract is a proud part of the Riot Network. Follow us on Twitter at the Riot Network to stay up to date on all your favorite pods. Subscribe, rate, and love us on iTunes. My name is Nikki Wolf. With me as always, the big dog, Josh Klein, managing editor for the Riot Report, co-host of It Is What It Is, and wants to take this time early in the podcast to encourage everyone to vote early. Yeah, we usually do the uh, the, the plugs and stuff at the end, but um, I know there are a lot of people that um, once they hear a couple minutes of my dulcet tones, they shut the podcast off, uh, and my wife is already done listening um, now that the theme song is over. So uh, if you have not, go out there and vote. Uh, it's important. Early voting till October 31st. Get out there and do it. Doesn't matter who you're voting for. Just go out there and vote. And voting at the stadium is one of the coolest things ever. And that's a really cool opportunity. And there's free parking available there, just so you know. And when I went, it took me probably 10 minutes, like from walking out of my car into the stadium, like the whole process. So go vote. Do it it early. Get it over with. From everything that I've heard, Bank of America Stadium, Spectrum Center, and the Bow Complex, the Bowplex, uh, are all in and out within 20 minutes. And if you wait until Election Day next Tuesday, it's not going to take you 20 minutes. It's going to take you longer. So just go, go and do it right now. Go vote. Go vote. Go vote. Do it. It's your right. O C E. Vote. 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 Were you a cheerleader ever in life? I mean, I, certainly I, I would rather, you know what? Let's just move on. Colin, <laughs> joining me as always. <laughs> Our other bestie, Colin Hoggard, columnist and contributor for the Riot Report. And he only ate McDonald's like twice in the past week. That's be a we record are, low for you. Yeah, well, we are expanding the fast food platform for 2020. Um, after consulting with some folks, cookout, wider. We need straws. We've got bubble tea in America now. I need the bigger milkshake straw at cookout. And also, I think it's time for the tray to go away. We don't need all that styrofoam. So important, important moves. No less styrofoam at cookout and bigger straws. We're making this place a better place one day at a time. I agree with that. Why do we even have the styrofoam? Like, why does that still exist? Why? I guess styrofoam is like the cheapest material in the entire world. Is that why? Yeah. I would like to get a tray without the tray at this point. Give me the tray with no tray. Just put my, put my fries in the, in the bag a little something. Just hand your, just put your hands up there and be like, I'll take two corn dogs just right here, sir. They have bags. They have bags. Bags are fair. You can bring my a wife, street pail and just say, here, fill this up. Yeah. Zags my wife got really mad at me. Week. Oh, that's Yeah. Put them on notice, Colin. Uh, my wife got really mad at me because she asked me for some cheese and crackers. And so I just grabbed some out of the kitchen and brought them out of my hands for her. And she was like, what is happening? We're like, we have plates. <laughs> just hand me up a, a handful of cheese and a handful of crackers, a slice of cheese and a handful of crackers. She should be happy, right? Yeah, well, exactly. I'm doing something for her. I'm being a nice a uh, loving husband bringing her a nice snack while she watches her housewives. And then, uh, and, and I'm getting yelled at because I didn't bring it on a plate. I'm just going to place it on the coffee table like a hobo. It's fine. 
It's the thought that counts. At least you didn't bring it on a styrofoam tray of some sort. Great point. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Nikki. Let's bring on our guest on the one day contract this week, Vincent Richardson, co-host of the Great British Drafting Show, analyst for the Riot Report, and was ready to release Seth Roberts like three weeks ago. Welcome, Vincent. Hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm actually trying to, currently trying to find an image that I know I have somewhere of a route. Yeah, I found it. It's a Seth Roberts route chart from, I think, 2017, and it's just screens. I can't remember which game it is, but he had five catches for 31 yards, and every single one of them was a screen. Yeah, well, he's, uh, he got to go. Well, they're clearing room for uh, – who are they clearing room for? Joe Montana? That's how yes. the roster spots work, right? Yes. Yeah. Randy Moss lives around here. Absolutely. He was on the Zoom call a couple of days ago. So he's, uh, he's ready. That's probably what he was going to be on there uh, when Matt Rule was on, was, was hearing from Randy Moss talking about his new, new spot at wide receiver. Lord knows they need another wide receiver. He's always open. He's always open. So we start the show with Nikki's super important question. And I read today, actually, I should say, I saw the trailer for the new reboot of Saved by the Bell, um, which I don't know if, if we're going to love or hate. I think it's going to go either poorly or either amazing. So in 2020, what is the reboot that we all need? Are you raising your I hand? I have a question. Yes. I'm raising my hand. I'm not using the raise hand function on Zoom. <laughs> Uh, but what is the Saved by the Bell reboot? Are the who's on it? Is Zach the principal? What I need some beats. Zach Zach is a dad, and his kid is going to Bayside, and Jesse Spano is involved, and AC Slater. I yeah I I can't tell if I if I love this or hate this. Either way, is I'm going to watch. Kelly Kapowsk coming back. She was in the promo as well. All right, uh, hang on. Can we just pause the show for a minute? I'm going to just need to watch that. Can we come the... back? Yeah, yeah. Here, let's hit the desk. There you go. Now you know where to make the edit. Let's go find all the information. It definitely looks like there is a scene where they get the band back together that they had, and they sing Friends Forever or something. So... Oh, my, no. That's yeah. going to be so bad. See? Vincent, did they have Saved by the Bell in, in, uh, in England? heard of it but i i haven't seen it i don't know whether that's because it didn't come to the uk or i'm maybe a little bit too young mm, either one either makes basketball. me feel bad about myself <laughs> <laughs> is screech welcome or is screech still banished i feel like screech is still banished right yeah, he wasn't in any of the promos i believe that's why there's never been a reunion because jimmy fallon i think kept trying to champion that and that was the one missing piece that they had and shine up that diamond you know but Reboot. What reboot does 2020 need? What's going to save us in 2020? For me, it would be The Office. It's, Is it too, that seems too early to reboot. No. Right? Didn't, they just, didn't it just go off the air? No, not just. It's like, that doesn't make any sense. How about uh, if we're going to reboot some stuff, let's, uh, let's reboot Lost. I'm ready. Let's crash another plane on that island and just have some weird stuff. Just have some weird things happen. Uh, ben can be on the show. Uh, as the new Jacob and uh, Hurley is there. I think Hurley actually took over as Jacob. I kind of lost the thread of the show once we got to the end. But um, Sounds like you just I'm, need to I'm watch in. the show over again and it would be a reboot for you. I'm back. Let's do it. Desmond, he's like my favorite character of all time on TV. And FYI, The Office ended in 2013. So it's already been seven years. Oh, sure. Yeah, you got to reboot something that's been off air for seven years. I Come need on. this. I need this. Okay. Come on. We need a <laughs> reboot of The Good Place. 
It's been over for months. <laughs> can I get a reboot of the playoff Hornets? Is that a thing I can get? Yeah, there I like you that. go. I need, I need some good a, Zoe and LJ energy. How about a reboot of the Cam Newton era in Carolina with, uh, with maybe a, a new star as a coach? Like, I'm just thinking out loud. <laughs> I like it. I think that Just exists only in Twitter timelines. Yeah, absolutely. Vincent, what do you got? Do you have anything you'd reboot to save 2020? Um, I don't know. I think reboots generally aren't good is the only thing. So anything like dear to my heart, I would be scared that they rebooted it. <laughs> um, like the, you know, the, the original Italian job is one of my favorite films. I've never seen the remake because I'm just scared it's going to be terrible. Um, I think something, something like Nikita, that was in the US, right, wasn't it? The Probably about 10 years ago, that was just ridiculous spy thriller that made no sense whatsoever. Something that's kind of entertaining, but not kind of genuinely good would maybe, maybe be where I'd go. Should I assume the original Italian job did not have Mark Wahlberg in it? <laughs> it, it had Michael Ken, Benny Hill was famous in that. It wasn't. It, it, it's no coward. Seth. Seth Green. It's like, no, it's like 1964. I think it's 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 it's, it's excellent. It's a fantastic film. It involves lots of minis crashing into stuff. It's 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 very good. <laughs> Did it have Mark Wahlberg in it? That was that was very well played. I think Mark Wahlberg probably wasn't alive when it was made. It is. It. I think I think that just about checks out maths wise. Donnie Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> No Wahlbergs in the there show. There are no Wahlbergs. If there's no Wahlberg quotient, I'm I'm less interested. That's all right. Pass. All right, let's jump into football talk. We're going to start with news first. Probably the most recent news that just broke a little bit ago as we were recording this, but Eli Apple has been cut from the team. Who wants to go first? Joshua? Sure. Uh I Okay. Uh-oh. No, no, no. It's it's not bad. I'm just trying okay. to. I have to kind of feel my feelings and get my get all my thoughts out um, without actually knowing what's happening in my brain. I don't do that on the show ever, really. I don't ever start sentences without knowing where they're going to end. Um, I, I think that so Matt Rule obviously this is like an evaluation year for whether he wants guys to be back. I think that has a lot to do with um, you know the not having a training camp, not having OTAs, not having mini camp. But ultimately, I think that what this comes down to is that Eli Apple didn't seem like he was Matt Rule's type of player, not from a football perspective, but from a, uh, from a, you know, maybe from a physical, from a mental, from a, you know, emotional perspective. And I think that that is something that he, you know, was willing to cut bait on after seven games, uh, whether or not it had to do with the hamstring injury and what, what kind of, you know, what Apple was willing to play through. Um, I, I don't know. I can't speak to it. You know, I, I didn't, I'm not, I don't want to say that I'm like reporting anything. I'm certainly just guessing at all of this, but that's kind of, that seems like it would make sense, right? Is that they saw a little bit of Eli Apple. They've, they've sampled the Eli Apple experience and they said, you know what? I think we're good. They took a bite. Exactly. <laughs> well, is it was this easier? I, I, I feel like I should know this, but was it is this easier to cut him because he did play this week? Like now that he is not injured, 
because he's been out more than he's been in. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I actually, I'm, I'm curious about how that works, releasing people, whether or not you designate them with an injury settlement or things like that, because it seems to me, and again, I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to me if your player comes to you and is like, coach, I can't practice, I can't play, and then you're like, you're cut, I don't know if that's something you can do. Um, I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I just I just feel like because he's healthy and, it, it, you know, we got a chance to take a look at him, but this is this is just his second game this season, I think. He played a couple weeks ago, right? Um, yeah, well, he, he didn't even play a couple weeks ago. He was he was active and then he played special team snap, a uh, singular, and then uh, and then went out. So um, this was the first time that he played a defensive snap. At this point in the build, just from the macro, I have no problem with moving on with a guy like this. Like, this is, to me, what this year is all about. And it's not specific to Eli Apple. We don't know what was going on in there. But to me, this is what this, this time period is about. It's about kicking tires and finding the dudes that fit what you want to do. So, on to the next one as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think the only potential caveat to that is they're now down so many people at corner because Rizal Douglas is still on the COVID IR list and because Dante Jackson is kind of in and out with a toe injury by getting rid of Apple, you potentially then end up exposing guys who you don't really want to play too early. So, you know, you know, Troy Pride's already almost certainly going to play on, on Thursday. You know, Stan Thomas Oliver is now potentially going to play as well, just because they're down on corners. And then I, I'm not saying you should keep Apple because of this, but the one downside is that you end up potentially exposing young guys before they're ready because you just don't have the numbers. Can I just say something real quick? Um, they are not, they did not release Eli Apple in order to open up a roster spot for Christian McCaffrey or to open up a roster spot for Stefan Gilmore or Quinn Williams or anyone else who you may have read about in the trade rumors. And rest assured, I will cut this if they uh, have traded for any of these guys I just mentioned. Um, <laughs> but that's not how roster moves work. You don't have to cut the guy two hours ahead of time in order to then add somebody up. They're all this stuff when they announce it, it already happened. Like they, they didn't just, when they press send on the post and the tweet, it's not like, and he's released now. Like, he's been released for a few hours already um, when they announce it. So that is, uh, that uh, I see a lot of action on Twitter whenever the Panthers make a roster move that there's some, they're clearing some sort of space. You don't cut a guy that played 30 defensive snaps for you um, because you need to clear space for somebody. You cut the guy that was, that's been inactive for six weeks um, that's, that's who you cut. So, uh, sorry if you're one of the Twitter people who, uh, wants to assume that they're cutting him because they're trading for Dak Prescott, maybe. I don't know who else would, who else would be a ridiculous <laughs> person they're trading for. <laughs> you, I feel like you just crushed a lot of people's dreams on Twitter that had all these. Sam Darnold, <laughs> all the, all the jets, bring them all in, bring them all in. <laughs> Come all great with Robbie Anderson, right? I mean, what could go wrong if you just keep keep sending them our way? Um, you former said the Jets, s- former Adam Gase people. Let's bring <laughs> them all. Bring them all. You said the c word, CMC, designated to return from IR. Do we think he's going to play Thursday night? We said we did not on last episode. I stand by that. I, I appreciate him wanting to be out there. It just seems like with an ankle injury and a Thursday that may involve some weather, that this just seems like not the not the time. And it's not the year. For all the reasons, you know, Vincent was just talking about the, the cornerback depth, where this team is, where they're headed. This is not the year to be 
uh, manning up, I guess, a week early. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, to me, this, this reeks of, uh, of, of mind games with the Atlanta Falcons, that if he's out there at practice, if, he's ho- if you're hopeful that he's going to play, if maybe he's going to play, that, uh, that then the Falcons and Raheem Morris have to prepare for him. And that makes total sense. That is probably the right way to do it. And honestly, the right way to do it is to let him go out there and practice today, maybe tomorrow too. Like, that's totally fine. Maybe let him get a warm-up on Thursday. Sure. But actually, I don't know if that's allowed if you don't uh, put him on the active roster. Um, but they did clear that spot uh, for Eli Apple. So I think he could come back. He should not bring his back. I know that regardless. That that's <laughs> upon whether you're active or not. Um, but I think that, honestly, like, this, this makes a ton of sense in terms of, like, my like – playing the chess match that it takes to be an NFL head coach sometimes. But I I think ultimately if you're looking at the long run and I think what they just did between releasing Eli Apple, releasing Seth Roberts, it makes a lot more sense that we're looking at this in the macro in the long run and bringing Christian McCaffrey back for a Thursday night game against Atlanta rather than just holding him out. um, Doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Doesn't mean they won't do it, but for me, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with all of that. I, it, again, you can't say that they won't do it because if he's fully healthy, then they might just try it. But I think it makes more sense to wait until the Chiefs game. Yeah, absolutely. What would you guys say about Mike Davis and his efforts in this relief during these weeks with him out? Um, well, <laughs> I, th- I think he's been quite good. I, I think he has. It's one of those things where I think Early on, he was probably more effective, partly just because of who they were playing. Like the Arizona game, he got handed quite a lot of freebies by their defense, just not executing well and him getting to the edge very easily. Uh, I think he's an effective runner. He catches the ball quite well. Like he's, he's a perfectly, he's a good stand-in player. Um, but I think some of his speed limitations have been exploited at times a little bit where teams know he probably isn't going to test the edge that in the same way that, say, someone like CMC or even a Reggie Bonafon could. And so they're able to play a little bit tighter, which then makes it harder for him to do what he actually does do well, which is run inside. Um, I, but again, I think he's been quite good. I just, you know, ultimately, one of the arguments about running back value is it's very hard for a running back to, like, massively overachieve based on what's blocked for them. Yeah, I don't disagree. I also think that um, he is – he has done – exactly what they paid him to do and he was good at it he was paid to be a backup running back and their running back is going to miss six weeks and he was very very good for four of those six weeks last two weeks not as good but you know what that's okay that's why he's a backup running back and he's not their signature piece of their offense and their feature back um now that's not to say that he couldn't be a feature back somewhere else but I think that for for me He's a guy that makes a ton of sense as the number two on your roster. And when your number one goes down, he can step in and do an admirable job and run the offense and be smart. And he looks for contact and it's, and it's fun to watch him run. He certainly has a different style than, than Christian McCaffrey. And I think will be an, uh, an interesting change of pace should Joe Brady decide not to run Christian for 95% of the snaps. Then, uh, then I think that's where you get a lot of value out of Mike Davis. So I think that, Ultimately, the Mike Davis experiment in Carolina has been a success so far, uh, no matter how, how effective he is on Thursday night. I think the other yeah. thing in terms – sorry, sorry, just very quickly. I think the only other thing in terms of like the last couple of weeks is, is he has had some kind of like lingering injury that was kind of around a couple of weeks ago. And also, 
with no Bonifon and Curtis Samuel also being out, he has been basically the only guy carrying the ball. And so, you know, that just makes things so much harder because teams can just key into him in terms of run defense and he gets no breaks. If they need to run the ball, he has to carry it kind of thing. So I, I, I think the last two weeks have not been a good example of how he could be used effectively. Lockett's game, particularly against the Saints, and I thought it was a really poor job by both Brady and Bridgewater to put the running game in situations to succeed. They basically only ran out of tight formations. They announced that they were going to run, and then they ran. I thought they had opportunities, particularly you look at the end of that, the second quarter, to run the ball, to bleed that clock during that drive, and they didn't do that. They kept passing. I really thought it was one of the times where this season where we've seen that aspect of the game really get away from Brady. And I think, I think Peyton and Breeze punished it. So I don't, I don't really put this as much on Davis because first carry of the game, he gets seven yards. They, they, they fake a toss to him. He's effective. The defense is biting. They just didn't give him or the running game opportunities to succeed. And what's interesting is he was not listed on the injury report, but then we have Hartfield coming in and it certainly said some is running away. He had a catch on, I think it was like a second and three, and he got stopped for two yards, and he looked like he was in mud. Like he did not look like the same, the same guy. Which, you know, again, it's interesting because he wasn't on the injury report. But Josh, I think on the overall picture, you're exactly right. This guy is, is behaving like a bang up backup running back for this team. And that's the thing is that sometimes we can get caught up in like they come in and they're really good for one game and you're like, Mike Davis, best running back in history. And it's like, no, it's okay for him to just be a good backup running back for this team. Just like last year, I know everybody hates Kyle Allen, but Kyle Allen was a good backup quarterback, especially for the first five weeks of the time that you wanted him in there. Was he good for 12 when you, or 14 weeks when you needed him for the whole season? No, because he's not, he wasn't the starter but when he, you needed him to come in in small doses and be an effective backup and keep the team afloat until the starter comes back, that was what he was able to do. And that's what Mike Davis has been able to do. And that what is what I think a lot of people are missing is that context of like, this guy was never asked to be the feature back. He was just asked to be the backup and, and spell the team and keep them alive until Christian can come back. I, I think back too to C.J. Anderson – you know, as a guy that, uh, you know, when the Panthers did right by him, let him go play with the Rams, go be in the playoffs, did the whole thing, and then the Panthers get ripped for the entire broadcast. But then C.J. Anderson didn't exactly look like a bell cow running back in the Super Bowl. Uh, all of a sudden, it was a little bit different. One game looked great. Similar similar type of stuff here. And this isn't to say you don't like Davis, but it's just he's been a guy who in his career has, needs light work. He needs less work than the, than the, than the uh, bell cow back. And I think we're seeing some of the effects of him having to carry that even above and beyond because of the lack of depth in that running back back or in that backfield. Both Russell Okun and Zach Kerr still missing practice. Which is more important? I hate to say it, but I think Zach Kerr is more important to this team right Uh-oh. now. Team Little? Um, yeah, I mean, I've always kind of been on team Greg Little. I think that Little is a guy that they invested a lot of. I mean, Vincent has been super into Greg Little since, I mean, I, we were talking about him like last summer. Um, it's my last, number five prospect in that draft. Yeah. Well, so uh, last summer is, so Marty was last, reading you. <laughs> last summer's too late. Like last winter, like you were, you were telling me about how good Greg Little was. And I, I think that when you look at, um, when you, it's just, 
I asked Matt Rule about this last week. Like, when do you when do you make a decision on like how hurt a guy is to bring in somebody back up, or when somebody's playing poorly to bring in somebody to to help him or to to play behind him or play instead of him, basically. And he said, you know, it's all about the who the guy is that's below who the next option is. And to me, the next option behind Russell Okung is a lot better than the next option behind Zach Kerr, especially now that with KK out, um, they're basically just relying – they're putting so much pressure on Derek Brown. I think he played 80% of the snaps. That's too many for a 320-pound defensive tackle. I get it. You want him to play a lot. He's your number one pick. He's your best defensive tackle. But at the same time, like he can't how, – how's he going to be fresh uh, 60 snaps in to, the, to a game when you need a stop on third down to get off the field and get the ball back and you're relying on him on his 59th or 60th snap. It's, it's just not, it's not feasible. And I think that when you take out Zach Kerr out of this defensive tackle room, you're looking at Bravion Roy, uh, sixth round pick and then F.A. Abada. And, and that's, that's tough. It's not, it's not ideal. There's so much youth on this defense. It, it really is like, who, like, who, is to hear the most experienced guy that's out there now. Like, I don't even. I'm trying to think who who actually is the leader in terms of games played. Like, it, it, they're just so young, and this is real. This really is like the first formative year, obviously. But I, there's some. There, I I intend to be encouraged by the the. Uh, the, the individual stars more than focusing on the, the overall 11 defense. Because a lot of those guys that are out there won't be out there when this defense is what we hope it can be. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I, Go ahead. Sorry, no, go, no, go, go, Josh. Well, I, just, I agree with you. I think that you're looking at – no, now we'll just – no, 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 you go ahead. No, no, I'm, I'm going to talk. Uh, I think that when you look at – you're absolutely right. Like, some of the guys that a lot of people think are playing poorly are not going to be here in two years when this team is competing. So, but uh, in terms of, like – in terms of just right now, I would rather see uh, Greg Little out there get those reps at left tackle than I would force F.A. Abada to play three tech for his entire for the entire game rather than let him get some edge snaps. So I, I think, in a way, I kind of I don't actually think either injury is that disastrous. There are there are bigger problems they have with other injuries that have already happened. Um, I think I kind of agree with the the whole Akung Little thing where. I I think Greg Little really needed playing time this year. Like, you know, he he if you looked at the Chargers game, the mistakes he made were almost all mental errors. Like that it's just it's about getting reps. you know, those are just reps errors. And as he's got more reps, those have kind of gone. And there are still things he needs to tighten up on. He still has some sort of tendencies that he needs to get eliminated. But the question with him was never talent. Like he he has absurd amounts of talent. It's just about making sure that he has the discipline in his technique and that will playing time helps that so, and I think he's he's got loads you know there's no question about him being good enough to, to hold up on the side of the thing and I think well enough that they should trust him I think Kerr is a bit of an interesting one I think I think the thing is, is because Kerr is more of a one tech it isn't as bad as if they like if they'd lost FA Abada who probably isn't maybe isn't as good a player as Kerr or is kind of not no better anyway it would have been much worse because the, the issue at the moment is just three tech. It's not even D tackle. It's just three tech um, because they've got going into the season, like short was the only natural three tech and they had Roy Kerr and Brown who were all like one techs who could maybe play some three tech. And now they just 
only have either one text who can play some three techs or DNs who can play inside. And I think probably Bravery and Roy will get a lot more playing time with Kerr out. Probably he might get more playing time at the three tech like that. It might just be that they keep Brown at the one and just play like Roy and Abada rotating at the three. But I, I, I think Zach Kerr is a good player who should be... The Panthers did a really good job of getting for the value they did. But I think their issues are not solved by... Their, their defensive line issues are about three tech and he doesn't really help that problem, even if he makes them a better t- play, uh, Even if he makes the team better... Losing him does not radically change the issues they have defensively. I, I would not be opposed to them. And I'm not saying be buyers trading first day, second day picks. I would not be opposed to them making some kind of trade that to try and help shore up this defensive line, I, I, particularly for this year. And I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to make some kind of splash play, but if this defensive line depth gets to the point that you can't function effectively, you know, the second half of the season, I, I think you could really undermine progress for, for this young group. Again, I'm not trying to make a playoff push, but I think they need to have a defensive line that they can feel comfortable with and be able to be, you know, compete with so that these games do mean something for, for Chin, Burns, et cetera, et cetera. I think the, the, the issue they have there, and this isn't just on the D-line, this is over the whole roster. The injuries they have, barring KK's injury, are, are not season-ending ones. There is a whole load of like three-week, four-week ones. And the issue there is, is that that's, it's quite hard to... If you knew a guy was done for the season, you stick him on IR and you bring someone else in. Whereas if you know you've got the guy coming back in three or four weeks, it's very hard to bring in someone to spend assets filling a gap for three or four weeks. I think 3Tech is because it you know, shorts out for the year. I think that's maybe the one area where they could bring in a guy for the rest of the season and it would be okay. I think the question then is, is there someone who you think is going to fit? Um, I mean, Quinn and Williams is kind of like the one who's been mentioned as like the premier option. And I think he would be like multiple high picks. But I mean, the thing is then is you don't want to be in a situation where you're trading for a genuine asset, but you want a player who's good enough to fill a role. And the issue then is it's finding guys who, who fill that kind of gap where you're not, they're, they're not so good that you're going to have to give up like day two picks to get them but they're good enough that it's better than just signing someone off a practice squad. I, in a way, I think if, if you knew Kerr was done for the season, you'd go out and address the position. But if he's back in two weeks' time, you don't want to go out and trade a, a fourth-round pick for a D-tackle who becomes DT4 in two weeks' time. Well, I, don't, I just want to be clear. I don't want to trade a fourth-round pick for anything. I want to, play, I want to trade a sixth-round pick or a seventh-round pick for – whatever they're going to trade. If they're going to go out and be buyers, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the trade deadline and, and whether they should be buyers or sellers. But for me, uh, the reality is, is like, I, I, it, giving up something higher than a six round pick, I think undermines your entire process and what you're doing. Um, in order, yeah. to, especially if it's just to be successful this season. Now, if you want to go out and get a 25 year old or even a Quinnen, if you, if like, yeah. if Quinnen is, is available for a second round pick, do it like obviously but like I'm saying if you're going to go out and trade a fourth round pick for a guy just like you said for a guy that can fill in on a d-tackle or a 30 year old or something like that don't do that anybody that you trade for should be under 26 years old they should be somebody that you're either kicking the tires on to try and be part of your future or there's somebody who you know can be a part of your future but ultimately don't take time away from um from some of these younger guys and I get it that like uh, that, you know, you want to see these guys get some snaps. Um, but 
just like what Colin said, sometimes the lack of depth and the injuries can undermine what's happening in the growth for some of these other guys. And that, that was what I was afraid of a little bit when, uh, when they were going to roll out Troy pride at starter week one, which ended up happening anyway. So I guess it was just kind of like, it is what it is. Um, but that was kind of my fear was that the injuries or the lack of depth would cause uh, regression and stunt the growth of some of these young guys. You, you, you want young guys with multiple years left in their current deals. But unfortunately, that's, you know, generally young guys with multiple years left in their current deals have only been in the league a year or two and teams aren't ready to give up on them yet. So you, you, you kind of in this weird situation where you want to find players that, for whatever reason, a team has given up on, but also are still like in year two or three. And generally, players who get given up on in year two or three are not players you want to trade for, particularly if they've been reasonable draft picks. Let's take a look back at this Saints game. Let's start with, do you think they made the right decision to kick? Let's go to Colin first on this one. I, I say yes on this one. I, it's fourth and 19. I think Slaw's got the leg. I thought he kicked it high. I think he was trying not to kick it low, and he kicked it a little bit high. Um, I, I don't know. Like, in that moment, it's fourth and 19. I don't know what – I have to make the best. That was the right call. Yeah, I, the number of plays that are even, you know, fourth and 19 is, is really not a good situation to be in, um, particularly when you've got a team that's got a reasonably good pass rush. I, I think at that point, the, the issue was how they ended up in fourth and 19, what they, not what they did on mm-hmm. fourth and 19. Like, you know, if you're trying to convert fourth and 19s to, to win the game, that, that's the issue, not the fact that you did the wrong thing on fourth and 19. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, too. I mean, obviously, he was – the funny part is that he said that he, in in a dome, in a perfect controlled environment, his long is 64.8 yards, which I thought was hilarious that he was willing to say that after the game. And then he literally, like, kicked it 64.8 yards. Um, because if that thing hit the goalpost, if that thing hits the crossbar, it might have bounced in. We don't know. So, um yeah, so uh, I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with that. Again, everybody wants to talk about one play is what loses. One play doesn't lose a game. The sack certainly didn't. Um, I think it's just kind of like once you're in a fourth and 19 and you're down by three, uh, you don't really have a choice. I think ultimately, even if he made that field goal, they were going to lose. So, Yeah, I always come back to the, the Bears game in, I think it was 2017, where they lost 17-3 away in Chicago. Yes. And and they had the, the defensive turnovers and Ron said after the game, well, it was just three plays that lost us the game. It's like, you scored three points. It wasn't three plays that made you score three points. You didn't, you didn't function on offense. Like, these aren't like a few odd plays that, that, that change a game. Like, a few odd plays can make a massive difference. But if you're on track to scoring 40, three plays don't make you score three points. And if you're on track to holding them to five points or, you know, 10 points or whatever... It, it, it a few plays don't let you concede forty, so it, it's it's a summation of loads of things. So both both off both the end of the first half and the end of the second half saw the offense. I think not doing everything they could do. We've talked, we've been sitting here talking about how bad this defense is, how bad they're battered, and or how young they are. And you you don't bleed the clock at the end of the first half. You give Breeze an opportunity, and then. You take that. You take that sack at the end of the game. I mean, as bad as everybody wants to be on the defense, I feel like the offense really had two opportunities here, and and didn't didn't capitalize on either one. 
Well, I guess they capitalized in the first half one because they scored the touchdown, but they didn't. They didn't capitalize on bleeding the clock by by using the running game. They kept their foot on the gas, and to the to the point that New Orleans was taking timeouts before um, before the half. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Colin, you were saying something before we started recording about how you know you are you know Phil Snow and this defense is going up against. Um, Sean Payton and the New Orleans Saints for the first time and it's kind of a uh, I'll let you say it rather than give me the credit for it no I just think that this was this was a welcome to the NFL welcome to the NFC South welcome to playing New Orleans Saints for a lot of guys Phil Snow um, in, included in this I think Burns you know as much as we we're, we're high on Burns I think they they tempted him and said hey why don't you rush this way and man some of those get offs looks great but they were baited and then they ran right behind him. So I think the, I think the whole entire defensive unit um, really got a welcome um, from the saints. And I'm not surprised they should lose the first matchup between Sean against Sean Payton and Drew Brees. Cause those guys got a lot more tricks up their sleeve than they do, especially when Drew Brees is picking, picking off or picking between Troy pride and Sam Franklin, two rookies, one of which is making his, his first game, you know, or his first start. What happened with the run defense? Um, yeah, it, I, so I've literally just finished writing an article on this. Um, basically, they just weren't in the right gaps. And, and, and it, it's one of those things where you look at the, the run defense, and actually, I mean, they weren't great throughout the game, but it was basically seven or eight runs that, that all, all of the Saints like, run yardage. They only allowed like seven or eight runs over five yards, but that was basically all they needed to give up because they gave up a whole load of chunk plays. And it, it basically comes down to just staying in your gap. And, and, and not even that, but starting in your gap. There are a number of times where they, they miscommunicated on motion. They, they shifted when they shouldn't have shifted or didn't shift when they should have shifted. Um, and, and other times where they just, just didn't line up in the right place or didn't communicate who was meant to be where. And I think the, the, the frustrating thing is it looks to be the veterans who are doing this. It, like, partly just because of the positions they play, but like Shaq, Tahir Whitehead and Trey, who was effectively playing the box safety mostly uh, this game, they just weren't lined up. There were some plays where they had some excuse, like the, the Taysom Hill run towards the end of the, the long drive. That, that, oh. they, they, just, they just didn't substitute properly. They, were, they just weren't ready when the snap happened. If only they had three timeouts. If only yeah. they had three timeouts in that situation and knew that their defense wasn't lined up in the red zone on a third down. Yeah, that they, they that that should absolutely they should have. I agree. They completely should like if you even if you look pre-snap, you've got like Tahir Whitehead and Darius Taylor um, are just not like they just haven't got to their positions yet. They're just they're just they too far to one game. side of the field. Yeah, um, numbers. And and yeah, it's, it's it's not even anything very complicated. They just weren't ready. And I think that's the that's the frustrating thing watching the game back in terms of the the, the long run plays is it's they're not they weren't being beaten by anything complex. Like the Saints weren't pulling blockers all over the place and confusing them. They just were not lining up properly. And, and I don't, obviously there's a chance that they can't fix it because the players just can't do it. But I think more likely, or at least hopefully, it's just a matter of getting reps and just repping and repping and repping until, until you know when the fullback shifts out wide, the linebacker doesn't have to shift gaps because the safety goes with them and the gaps don't change inside. Or, or when, when the tight end crosses the line, it, you know, it, it looked like there was one play where it looked like Trey thought, thought he should be coming down to, to take the tight end who'd gone across and to hear and Shaq thought they should be shifting across. 
and Sam Franklin and Jeremy Chin thought neither should be happening. And they just, they, I think Sam Franklin and Chin were actually in the right because their gaps seemed to make sense. But they just, the defense wasn't working as one group to adjust to what was happening in front of them pre-snap. And they just weren't, they weren't in the right places. Yeah, uh, Matt Rule described it as a few too many, hey, my bad plays. Um, and I think that sums it up. When you rewatch, it just seems like it's a lot of after the play is over, like, yeah, I should have, like, oh, I was supposed to be, and then that's all they need. It's the NFL. Well, yeah. and I think, too, it should be noted that Breeze did audible to some of those runs as well. Like, he was up there on the, on the line manipulating and making calls up there. It also should be noted that one of them came after the defense should have been off the field on third and five, and Dante Jackson decided to get a defensive holding penalty about 50 yards away from the play on a stupid, selfish play where he just hooked the receiver for no reason. And they would have off the field, and the next play is a 20-yard gainer for, for Kamara. Uh, I think that, that play, and it didn't get shown because it was so far away that it wasn't even on, the all tw- on one of the all-22 angles. And that extends the drive, and then you come right back. So instead of a third and five stop in the first half, you force a punt, they, they continue to drive and get a big run. And, like, that's how the entire narrative for this discussion or what, what's wrong with the run defense changes because he didn't get off the field because of a guy making a selfish knucklehead penalty away from the play. What can we learn from this game? Not a huge amount, I don't think. I mean, I, I, I think you can learn that things are where we thought they were. Where I mean, learn I think who defend- Alvin Kamara is. That's what you can. That's what you could do. You can learn. <laughs> See, there you go. Support from the masses. Thank you. Bernie <laughs> wants to know more special teams talk. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I think you know, defensively, they are so short of bodies right now in some positions. You know, they, they, are, they have lost a lot of guys only for a few weeks, but they are, they are down a lot of people defensively. So the fact that they're not stellar in that regard, I, you know, I think Phil, the defense has massively overachieved through the first sort of six weeks. The injuries now mean that they're more like what we thought they were going to be. They're not a disaster. They're, they're not, like, I think they, they, they ran out of available talent on Sunday defensively rather than they ran out of anything else. Um, Offensively, I think it's still something of a work in progress. They they can be very good. They aren't quite the fully finished product yet. I, I think Sunday was where they have been all season. And when they're playing teams who are bad or make mistakes, they win. And when they're playing teams who play well, they lose. And that that's 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 kind of where it is right now. And that's kind of where it's probably going to continue to be. I kind of think that's okay. Yeah. Like I I think for the first year of and I've said this on the and. and Apparently people hate this take on Twitter, but I think it's okay for them to be at this spot in year one of a rebuild um, with a brand new coaching staff, 60% of a, yeah, sorry. Um, We got a new squad and uh, it's, I think that it's, you know, it's okay for them to be in these games and ultimately lose in two years. It's not going to be okay in maybe not even next year. It's not going to be okay. But right now, it's week seven, it's okay. It's okay. Sometimes, you know what? Sometimes that stuff happens. And, and just to be close, I know, no moral victories, the loser's mentality, but whatever. Like, this is how the league works. And it's okay for them to be in these games, but yet not quite winning. 
this was the this was what happened with Miami last year, is that they were, they were before the season started. Everybody thought they were tanking because of the moves they were making, and I think that Carolina wasn't quite there in terms of the, their national perspective. Um, but what they did was they were close in all, a lot of these games. They were competing, and then ultimately they you know they lost some of those games, but they won some of them too. And now this year they're ready to they're in a better spot where if they do lose those games, it's not as acceptable. And then next year, it certainly won't be acceptable. And that's where I think we should be hoping the Carolina Panthers will. Yeah, yeah I mean, I far, think the, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, as far as what, what I, I think you learned from here is Alvin Kamara, especially with Michael Thomas, like they, they need to do a better job with Kamara. I think if there's one thing I would be critical of Phil Snow is that they didn't identify the guy that was going to hurt them the most on this field, and they didn't take him away. You look at the third and 14 play, and, and again, it, it becomes like that catch-22. If they're running the wrong things, what do you do besides run cloud? So, be, you know, I don't know if you're, if you're Phil Snow. I don't know what you can do, but that is too passive of a defensive scheme to beat Sean, uh, Sean Payton and, and Drew Brees. I think – so I think there's sort of a couple of points there. I think the in terms of like the, the sort of year-long perspective type thing, I think the ambitions for the Panthers this year going in were to look competent to get the same on top. The offensively are going to make that second bit difficult, at least on that side of the ball. Like it's going to be hard to do more complex things because you're just trying to fill bodies, basically. Um, but I think, barring maybe some bits in the Tampa game, they have looked competent. Like th- there have been a few bits where they could be better. They could maybe, you know, I mean, that, that fake punt against Tampa was, was bad. But, but yeah, but j- just in terms of like the execution, it just didn't look like an, a, a, an NFL coaching decision, if that makes sense. But they've looked competent, and they are at least not fading. They, they, it wasn't just they had a few fancy tricks, and now they're gone. They, they are starting to build more of a functional NFL sort of scheme and, and kind of structure. I think this year, kind of, we've already had the basic questions answered. It's just about how much they can improve. Um, in terms of like the 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 defense, Phil Snow defensive stuff against Sean Payton, I, in some ways. I, I just come back to this, but they massively overperformed through six weeks and now have run out of healthy bodies to do some things with. And I think in terms of what you can do against the Saints, like the, if you want to beat the Saints, you've got to get interior pressure and they've run out of interior pass rushes. Uh, and you, the other option is to take away receivers with man coverage and they don't have the, the corners to play man coverage. So they just, I think schematically Phil Snow was kind of, Unless you just bring the house and hope that you confuse Breeze, but that's just ridiculously high risk. Given you know he, the odds of you bringing a blitz he hasn't seen before and him not knowing where to go to the ball, go with the ball consistently, are pretty low. So unless you're just going to keep bringing the house and hope you get home, you basically have to play zone and trust your pass rush is going to get there. And sometimes they did, but particularly on the interior, they just they, they're missing their interior pass rush right now. Well, to me, one thing I would do differently, and I want to talk about this, is Jeremy Chin's been one of the playmakers that we've, we've really liked here on this team, and we think, you know, everybody's bullish on him. He played a ton of center field in this game, and to me, he's more impactful as a guy. I want him closer. Like, I would have rather seen him try and take the Kamara, you know, task one-on-one than see him constantly playing center field and, and feeling like he was minimizing his impact in this game. So I think he, he has played a reasonable amount of centre field throughout the season. Like, you know, he has lined up all over the place. You know, they, I know they list him as a linebacker, but 
it's it's just it really. He was playing third level against New Orleans almost. Yeah, uh, but but he has another games a season for a reasonable amount. But he's also moved all over the place. It re- like I think they have, they have they seem to have quite different game plans week to week. I don't know how much the the uh, Justin Burris injury affected it um, because if you Burris played a lot of deep coverage. Um, if you like, if you go back and watch like the first half against the Bears, Burris is in deep zone quite a lot. And Chim played closer to the line. Um, I, I think the other thing is they, they New Orleans wasn't weren't really using the tight ends that much. I know they used J- the Jared Cook on that pass in the end zone, but they weren't heavily involved in the tight ends in the passing game that much. Um, and so I, I don't know whether their their game plan was more to take Jared Cook away. I, I honestly, I, I it's it's very hard to know what they're doing because it varies so much week to week. But I think I think the where, in a game where Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders aren't going to be there. Could you theoretically be looking to take Jared Cook away from a pass catching perspective? Probably not, right? That doesn't make any sense. Like, I, I mean, I'm not saying that is, uh, but you know, when you're trying to think about that kind of stuff, it seems like Kamara would be the person that you would want to take away as much as you could. I, yeah. I just felt like this. I felt like it showed a ton of respect to Breeze and Peyton, and, and for the first time going in and facing them, I, I guess I get it. But I just thought that they let them. They played two vanilla on first down and let. Breeze picked them apart. You look at this game, it's first down, first down, first down, where they're getting seven, nine yards, if not a first down. You know, even like all the third down talk, it was short yardage a lot of times on those third down, and they barely got the first downs. They got multiple favorable spots in the first half to get those first downs. So I really look at the first down. First downs where Breeze and Peyton won this game against Phil Snow in my opinion. Yeah, when you talk, when you, when, whenever we talk to any of the players or even Matt Rule over the past three days since this game, and you ask them about their reds or their third down defense, they just say first and second down. Like they're, they're, they're. I mean, ob- that that seems to be pretty obviously the problem is that when you leave, when you let them in third and one, third and two, you're just not going to be able to stop them. Like it's just not going to happen. You're not going to stop Drew Brees. You're not going to stop Alvin Kamara. Um, not more than twice anyway. So. Oh. And that the Breeze fumble on the at, the at the goal line, he doesn't come down with that ball. That's a score for this team. And, and it's important to, to note this, that they had three plays, that one, and I know that this all scores get reviewed, but that one and then the two, two third down ones first that they didn't play. In today's NFL system, you can't replay those because the ball has to move more than a yard on a spot challenge. So on a third and one, it's effectively, you cannot replay third and ones in the NFL. And that's, and I'm not saying they would have won either one. They, they definitely got the benefit of Kamara's arm and then Latavius Murray's roll on two of those. But it, it's, a, it's a loophole right now in the NFL. And I think if, if any of those three go differently, with the way we're talking about this game and certainly the touchdown, it's different. And both those officials, both those officials raised their arms instantly, and that ball did not cross the line. It may have, they may have gotten the touchdown, but they ended that play prematurely. And, and, it, and any of those go differently, the, the narrative is different. Let's look ahead to Atlanta. What needs to happen for the Panthers to win? Start with um, I think so. the Falcons' defense obviously is – is not performing at a super high level. Um, I think they they kind of I, I, their offense has too much talent that you can't just okay. Well, we're going to hold them to fifteen points and, and eke it out. I think you 
it, particularly they've got that. I think Julio's going to be back, and 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 um, they they, they you know, Ridley's still very good, and Todd Gurley's having a little bit of a renaissance. They, you know, you you have to score points. Um, I mean, the red zone offense seemed to get better against the Saints, but some of that's them being terrible defensively in the red zone. So, I think. The, the offense has to has to have a has to has to like not necessarily set the world on fire, but has to perform at a higher level than they have at some point this season. Like weirdly, we thought every game was going to be a shootout, and then the 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 defense has actually been much better than I think we all expected, or at least certainly than I expected. Um, and the offense hasn't quite hit the heights it should do. We didn't think we'd be criticizing Phil Snow after a, a second half where he gave up six points. <laughs> yeah, based on our preseason I, expectations, I think yeah. that uh, isn't the key to beating Atlanta. Just kind of hold on and wait for them to do something inane in the fourth quarter. Like that's kind of the like some sort of a blocked, like a mishandled uh, field goal to win the game, and the you recover it and and take it seventy yards for touchdown. Like that's how that's how this game is going to end, right? Some some ridiculous way. I'm really hoping that, and I'm based on Gurley's touchdown, that everyone else has just kind of checked out. Like it's like just looking out for number one. I think I think this is the best. The easiest road for a Panther victory is for the Falcons to be like, man, maybe next year. Hey, just real quick, everybody's blaming Todd Gurley for not being able to stop himself from falling into the end zone against the Lions. How about just take a knee there? Do you need to? Do you need those extra eight yards to get close? Do you need to kick your field goal from the one? That's where you have to kick your field goal from. Isn't it interesting how coaches will sometimes play for the 51-yarder and then they're like, mm, 34, I don't know. you got to get it in a little bit closer there. Yeah, meanwhile, Kingsbury's kicking on second down from, a, from the 41. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like, sometimes coaches are just – sometimes they just make the wrong – just like the outright wrong decision. And that, I think, is – has been a pleasant surprise from Matt Rule. There have only been a couple of those through seven weeks where you're just like, oh, what? Oh, no. Like, there have been – I feel like there have been some questionable decisions, but there have been very rarely thus far has it been like, no, you don't – oh, uh, I, what's happening? Why are you doing this? Um, and, and which for a rookie head coach I think is pretty impressive. Yeah, not since the fake punt in Tampa have I really felt one like that. Yeah, I think that that's that is the only play that they've done where you yep. thought that that's that's not an NFL coaching move. <laughs> that that's just you know, but, that's mashing you know, B button. <laughs> it, it, it's even if you ignore what they actually did in terms of executing the play and what and you know whether they had the right play and all that kind of stuff. Just the the the, the way in which they actually got to the situation where they were running a fake pump. Just that that felt it felt like something that you do to trick like some you know. Big Twelve team that that you know isn't that tuned into what's going on, rather than what you do against an NFL defense that you know has seen some I mean, of those tricks before. Going up and down the line, screaming at all your special teamers, and getting excited on the sidelines isn't a way to fool the opposition. That that some, that a regular that a punt is happening <laughs> while punting from the twenty-four yard line. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where do the Panthers have a matchup advantage against Atlanta? Um, probably attitude, most importantly, I think, right? It's like the just general attitude of where, yeah. these, where these two teams are. I mean, perfectly honestly, this this rule is bad. Like, this team's under 500, they could look bad, but this attitude to me 
is the attitude of a successful team going forward. Yeah, I think it's always interesting when you have like an interim coach as well, because either everyone in the building knows they're going to be there for like you know six weeks, and you know, I mean, we, you know, it's 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 gone past now. But like Perry Fuel last year was not, you know, I don't think he was necessarily the world's best coach, but also was not put in a situation where anyone was under any illusion that he had, you know, no one thought he was getting a job, and so I think several players just didn't didn't care anymore, um, and. Obviously, the Falcons guy's got a little bit more time to prove to sort of actually, you know, Freddie Kitchens it. Um, but, but it, yeah, it's hard for players to get motivated for a coach that they know is not going to be there. For In terms of football, I think the D line probably has a decent shot against Atlanta's O line, uh, particularly in pass pro. Um, and also, I think the, the receivers and skill position players probably have a. Uh, 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 a decent chance of doing some stuff against the Falcon secondary. Yeah, I think the other thing for me that I'm that I'm really looking for today is um, or today, Thursday, whatever day it is. I don't know. All, all the days are the same. Uh, what I'm really looking for is for this Carolina Panthers team to go out there and win to beat a an inferior team that is going the wrong way. Because this was the kind of game. This is the kind of game that they should win. That they need to win, in my mind, is they've lost a couple in a row. They're going up against a team that's going the wrong way. It's on national television. You can get your guys up for the can. Can Matt? If there's one thing that we know about Matt Rule, it's that he can motivate and that he can get these guys up for it. And if he can't get them up for this game and he can't get them to play the way they're supposed to, then. I, then that then that will be something that I'm disappointed in, and and that I will be worried about moving forward because these are the kind of games that you that I would like that it's like you have this chance every during the season you have a few chances to like show something, and I think in a season like this, this is one of those games where you can go in and you can say, hey, we're better than the Falcons, and we're going to beat them up on national TV, and then we're going to go into our 10 day break, and McCaffrey's going to come back against Kansas City. And everybody's going to be talking about us. And, and then we're probably going to get blown out of there. But that's another thing. We'll talk about that later. But for this that's week. another show. It, for this week, it's about going out there and doing what you're supposed to do. Because so often in the NFL, that doesn't happen. What you're supposed to do doesn't get done. And that, that's what I'd like to see from this team this week. To me, if it, doesn't get done, if it doesn't get done, I'm looking at the defensive line. We talked about the, the high snap counts for both Burns. And Brown, this week now you come back on a Thursday. If that pass rush is MIA to me, that, that's the, the recipe for trouble. Yeah, I think, I think the only thing there is that the edge rush can be good, but if the, you know, with Matt Ryan, if the interior rush isn't there at all, then, then it's going to be hard for the edge rushers to get home. The Panthers are a league worse, two and eight on Thursday night football. Why is that? Is there any rhyme or reason? Well, I have a hypothesis. Oh, it's okay. The opposite of what I just said. It's that their previous coach, who has been the coach for most of their Thursday night football games, was not great at getting them up for games that were for big games, for games that were on national TV. And maybe he left it to their players. Maybe he left it to his players to bring that energy and to get guys ready for the game. Um, that and again, just a hypothesis. I'm not like that. That that's kind of maybe what I think happened. And I also think it's a little bit of luck of the draw. It's hard to say like, oh, well, they lost these games on Thursday versus Sunday. 
But I do think, you know, national TV games, some, some teams are, you know, they get up for them. Some teams don't. And I don't think the Panthers are one of those teams uh, in their previous regime that got up for national TV games. And, uh, and we don't know what that's going to be like under Matt Rule. Whether the bye week or the Thursday week, the, the extended break or the short break did not seem to go particularly well under Rivera most of the time when it was not routine. Was that a Steelers game a Thursday night game or was that a Sunday night game now? I can't remember. Oh, it sure Thursday. was. Thursday night. As was the game in Denver to open the 2016 season. Yep. Yeah. Panthers other- very good on Thursday afternoon, though. Excellent. <laughs> Undefeated on Thursday afternoon. Speaking, you know, we're living those abysmal rushing defense performances. That's one other thing, too. A lot of these runs did get tracked down. They didn't give up the big 70-yarder. Like, a lot of these ones, they did have defensive players hustling over there and getting over. And I know that's not what you're looking for out of your run defense, but it, it just shows, to me, an attitude. And, and I think that they were, they were close to pulling off the old bend but don't break this week, and they just didn't quite do it. Yeah, I certainly don't think this team is kind of playing like a team that's resigned to losing. Like, they're, they're, you no, know. definitely not. Yeah. No. I think I, which I, is good. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, I think barring the teams that are kind of in complete dumpster fire mode, I think seven games in, you probably shouldn't be. You know, even if you're top two and five, then you shouldn't already be in that situation. But no, I, I, think, I think the Panthers are, yeah, I, I think they, they look like a competent NFL team, even if one that's quite banged up right now. Yeah, and even if it's not a very good NFL, competent NFL team, that's okay. Again, that is okay. They can, their competent NFL team is what we're looking for in the first year of a, of a coaching change like this, um, in my mind. Also, are we playing one of those dumpster fire teams this week? Um, no, no, I think the Falcons have been best than that. I, they're, they're not the Jets. Like, the, I mean, the, the Jets are clearly in, like, they're, they're already looking to next year. They're just tearing everything down. That's true. Um, how, how abysmal would our season have to look to be leading the, uh, leading the sweepstakes right now? Would <sighs> be worse like, than what, the Jets? Like, would, Matt, would Matt Rule have to be playing Joe Brady at quarterback in order for us <laughs> to be competing right now? Like, He'd be wearing sorry. the smock and nothing else on the <laughs> sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. I can't imagine this team being in that position right now given the incompetence that it would take. My uh, brother is a fan. He's signed to Owen 16 for a few weeks now. Open so. for Owen 16 for a few weeks now. There you go. <laughs> it's gonna, it might take Owen 16 to get that number one pick. Also, I think that the Panthers would be closer than you think if Teddy Bridgewater got hurt. Yeah. Oh, Most teams, if they lose their quarterback, you know, you know, struggle to be competent. I mean, like, you know, the teams that have two good NFL or even two, like, starting caliber NFL quarterbacks are pretty few and far between. Like a team that has Andy Dalton or something like that. They've got a good backup. I mean, they I got mean, the nooch. I mean, Andy Dalton is not a great quarterback, but, I mean, I, I think it's one of those things where, you know, you don't know about guys like Wilger and P.J. Walker unless they got thrown in there, but they don't, you know, even if they're perfectly competent and NFL helps with time, they have more rig between them. You know, they probably wouldn't be super great consistently from the start. And honestly, if Teddy had gotten injured, you know, week one, then you probably are in, the, in, that, in that mix. But I think you're better off having 
having this a year of experience for Samuel and Moore and Anderson and McCaffrey on down the list. So, yes, no, I, I think this this year's actually been really sort of promising, and you know, I I, I think there are some people who maybe a little bit carried away in terms of looking towards the playoffs. Uh, I, I, I think that's maybe a bit premature. I think next year is probably the year to start maybe sort of looking at, at that more seriously. But this, no, this, this year has been, it's been weird. Not, not every game, not feeling like it's life or death, like it has done in the last few years. But I, I think it's been, it's been uh, a, a very positive seven games so far. What would you guys have traded? Quick question. What would you guys have traded for Everson Griffin? I'm not sure I'd trade that. I just don't think he makes sense for the Panthers right now. Yeah, I, they, they I, don't I, need edge rushers. Well, he just got traded yeah. for a for a sixth round pick. I'd have traded that to the Detroit Lions. What are the Lions doing? We got a sixth round pick. Well, wait a minute. Now, is this one of those? Can they do a compensatory deal? So you always got to, you know, there's always that piece of it too. I, 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 so you yeah. trade for trade for Griffin, a sixth round pick, and then he leaves at the end of the season, and then you get a third rounder because he signs a big deal somewhere else. Yeah, but he's that's what smart teams are doing. That's what smart teams are doing. They're he's like the Lions. Like, like, like the Lions, the <laughs> smartest team. <laughs> the shining think... example in the Midwest. The who's the um, Who's the Jets linebacker? Um, Avery Williamson. Is that, is that it? The yeah, I think like he's a guy where you can make that argument. Where it's like last year of his deal isn't very expensive. If you give up like a fifth or sixth round pick, then there's a chance you get that back as a comp pick. You know, if you know if he, he goes and signs a big contract in the summer, even if it's just a, a, a middling contract, uh, you can potentially get the comp pick that basically makes it pay for itself. But but there aren't that many of those where there's a player who is both available for a pick that they won't. You know, generally big name players, you, the comp pick you get back is not worth what you give up to get them. Can we play a game now? Is it game yeah. time? You know it. I hope Vincent likes this game. <laughs> this is British slang terms. So I will give you some British slang terms. Vincent's going to have to tell us what they mean. And then you guys say which player exemplifies them. So we will start with chuffed. Chuffed means kind of pleased or proud. So, like, if, if something had gone well, you'd be chuffed. Okay. I actually knew that one. Uh, I, I wrote a headline last year for uh, – you wrote an F.A. about a piece, and I titled it – I headlined it, uh, Panthers fans should be positively chuffed about F.A. Abada. <laughs> and I was very pleased with myself. Very pleased with myself. Um, I can tell I think, you're very pleased now talking about it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I would be, um, I mean, I would be positively chuffed that um, DJ Moore is getting a little bit more involved in the offense. And I think that it is because, and I say that, and I realize that he has had 93 yards exactly the past three weeks. So to say that he's a little bit more involved, um, maybe overstepping it. But I do think that the, what you've seen from the connection between he and Teddy Bridgewater uh, has been getting better week over week. And yes, there were some drops, there were some bumps and bruises along the way. But I think that ultimately, when you have a young wide receiver like this and a young quarterback and and kind of a young offensive mind, you it takes a little bit for them to get used to each other. And and so I I am 
uh, I was I was chuffed to see what I saw uh, on Sunday with DJ Moore. Like that long the long bomb when it first when he first threw it, I was like, that's gonna be to Robbie. And then it was DJ Moore, and I was like, oh, okay, not who I was expecting to be running that seventy yard route. Um, I, I went a little different than Obata in the sense that, but I did keep it with a pass rusher um, because I think. Um, excuse me, I, I, for this one, I got it backwards now. I think it's the pairing of Derek Brown and Jeremy Chen. Um, as far as the draft day pride, the fact that the, 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 the Brown pick was, was questioned, there was a guy that looked an awful lot like Chen that, other, that people wanted. And for them to get both of these guys, I think both these guys are a huge piece. And I think um, those two dudes, if you're, if you're a part of this organization, um, and, and particularly we talked about Chen last week. So I think those are the two guys. You got to say the word, Colin. That's how it works. Chucked. I thought you were building up to it. Yeah, I thought you were like, if you're a part of this organization. You got to be chuffed you about. Your, there you go. Chuffed about Brown and Chin. <laughs> yeah, do an accent and then Vincent will try to identify where on the, where it's written from. <laughs> it moves across the map, I can assure you. <laughs> Very quickly. Boy, I think I'm positively chuffed. <laughs> Vincent, do you have a player for this? Yeah, I, I think and there's, a, there's a number of ways you can go this, this, with this this year, I think. But I think Brian Burns, for me, is kind of the guy who stood out. Just I think last year you looked at the, the, the production he had was probably not as good as, you know, he probably played not quite as well as his production. is little room last year, quite a few sacks. He played very well, but was not. He looked like a guy with loads of talent. This year he looks like a, an elite pass rusher. And that, that's... That's a, that's a serious step. I mean, in the same way that, that that's what you hope for the guys like, you know, Greg Little when he gets more playing time, then he moves from a guy who you look at and go, that guy's got insane amounts of talent to that guy is the genuinely elite player. And, and Brian Burns still has a few things he can work on, but he's, he's legitimately an elite pass rusher right now. And that's, that's a core building block going forwards. Our next British slang term is collywobbles. Sorry. I don't think I've ever heard someone use this. Um, I think it means unwell, but it sounds like something out of the, the, the scenes in Eurotrip where they're on the, the double-decker bus rather than actually something that someone would say. <laughs> it is. So I just Googled it. I did some Googling, and it, it means uh, stomach pain or queasiness. Um, it's believed to be, oh, boy. <laughs> It's oh, no. believed to be a friendlier sounding transformation of cholera morbus, which was the which was how they would describe the disease cholera. So they were like, "Oh, do you have the cholera morbus? Do you have the collywobbles?" <laughs> all right. Well, the Panthers run game gave me the collywobbles. Uh, That's what. Which I'm is all, yeah. Now so you're looking. Now doing. you're understanding how to play the game. <laughs> yeah, they, they, definitely the collywobbles. There were times I wanted them to, to, to run it. There were times I needed them to run it, and they they, they didn't run it. Um, just uh, a, a collie wobblish performance out of the run game. That was not the proper use. <laughs> yeah, uh, the Panthers in the red zone without Christian McCaffrey gives me a little bit of the collie wobbles as well. Um, I'm not sure that I was particularly impressed. Yes, they scored in the red zone and it was great, but it took a Curtis Samuel handoff to do it. Um, and uh, I think a DJ Moore jet sweep was that also in the in the red zone. Like that it was, just took some trips. Teddy Bridgewater uh, touchdown pass, I think you mean. Yes, yes, obviously touchdown pass. Excuse me, uh, but it, to me, I just I would like to see. And again, that's going to be something that I think is going to have to 
uh, show some improvement over the next, you know, over the course of the year and then over the course of the next couple of years. But for right now, when they get inside the 10, I start feeling a little bit of that collie wobbles. <laughs> Vincent, what gives you the collie wobbles? I think probably <laughs> the way. <laughs> it's just I think a probably... funny term. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think probably the way they use CMC through the first two weeks. I, I think, you know, given the contract he got in the off-season, he, he has to be a core building block of what you do going forwards. And I don't think the way to do that is to make him run the ball 20 times a game and occasionally catch a pass. Like, he, he caught some ridiculously small number of passes through the first... You know, obviously he only played two weeks. It's a small sample size. But he had, what was it, seven receptions on nine targets through two games? Like, you know... He needs, you know, obviously Mike Davis now has emerged as more of a, a legitimate option. I think that he probably should have been more involved to start with. But if, if you want a, a recipe of how to make CMC's contract worth it, it involves him being thrown the ball a lot more as a route runner around in space, working one-on-one -on -one against man coverage, and a lot less of him just taking carries up the middle. Like that, that's, if, that's, if that's your grand plan for using your you know, NFL best running back, then, then that's, that's not a great... Um, use of your money, shall we say. Vincent, I know you may not do this in the great uh, British Breaking Show, uh, but uh, the first four weeks of the preseason. So Christian McCaffrey hasn't played actually a game yet for the Panthers season. <laughs> Still technically true. Also, if Christian McCaffrey's out there playing in a freaking hurricane on Thursday night, I'll have the collie wobbles <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's do one more. I want to know what this means. Cock up. Uh, yeah, it means things have gone badly. So, you know, um, it's like a, a uh, less offensive version of another four-letter word followed by up. Um, I don't know where we are on Josh's two swears rules, but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 it's, yeah, it, it's, yeah, cock up is just a mess. But, you know, um, the, the phrase it gets used most is cock up rather than conspiracy, basically meaning you messed up rather than you planned to be Mm. nefarious so like trying to bait drew Brees into an interception using two rookies while drew Brees completes a play for 30 yards you might have cocked it up no cock, cock up would be more sort of like one moment of 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 shittiness so oh. Um, oh there's one i heard that one <laughs> that one i heard that's the one curse um yeah, so, so I can't think of a good, what's a good example? For yeah, the, the fake punt was a cock-up. It's a, a prime example of a cock-up, a fake punt against Tampa. That makes sense. Trying not to score but falling into the end zone, is that a cut that would, that would uh, qualify as a cock-up? I think the Falcons the Falcon season in general is pretty cock-up <laughs> worthy. <laughs> I think that's their hashtag, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes yes it is vincent where can the folks at home find you on the internet and whatnot i am i'm on twitter at v richardson 444 and also the riot report i'm on right on there quite a lot joshua uh yeah i'm on the twitters at uh collie wobbles uh with one c no uh <laughs> at josh klein rules um, Collie wobbling it all weekend long and uh, also at the riotreport.com and um, get out there and vote. Colin? 
at Colin CLT, and maybe on Smock Talk coming soon. Who knows? <laughs> Hashtag Smock Talk. How'd you feel about the smock? Would you would you rock a smock? No. No. Are you anti smock? Well, I mean, if you want to look like you work at an arcade and you know dole out quarters, then go for it. <laughs> Just what, what does he need the utility for? Like what? I, you're indoors. Like he, ah, the inclement weather of indoors. I don't know. I'm not smock. I wasn't impressed by the smock. No, Vincent. What do you think of the smock? I couldn't give less of a shit. That is the thing. Vincent gave my answer. <laughs> really cocked it up. <laughs> it really cocked it up. Oh, Lord. We'll end it there. This has been One Day Contract, part of the Riot Network. Vincent Richardson, we're One Day Contract. With with Everybody else, get out there and vote. We'll see you next week. Don't get the collie wobbles. <laughs> <laughs>